Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. If you can find the time to explore the mind of a stripper, then you can find the time to spend with your actual family. Prime time with Isaac and Sue. What they on? All steroids and no carbs. Them the big ass kids. This is prime time. Not like you. We're growing up. Your source for the best in local, regional, and national sports. Oh, my goodness! Here are Isaac Roth and Jason Sakanik with Prime Time on 1080 The Fan. Hey, hey, let's have a Tuesday. It is not Isaac and Souk. It is primetime, however, a best of edition. Ryan Buckley here covering for the boys as they are in the holiday transfer portal. We probably need a new term for that. Uh, I keep saying that, but the transfer portal usually means someone's leaving and not coming back. They're both coming back. They'll both be back in the new year. Um, however, it's it's almost like uh, maybe in soccer when a player is on loan. But then again, um, you know, Mexico isn't paying them uh, to be there or or whatever. So I don't know what we should call it. Uh, if you have a better analogy for uh, sports and the boys temporarily being out of pocket, let me know. Uh, but another best of today, it'll kind of be a hybrid edition. And I'm excited about this one. We've got some fun old interviews lined up. I think it's cool to go back in time uh, to specific points in time and remember what our, our thought processes were about certain events. Um, so have uh, Brock Hewitt on the show with immediate reaction to the Russell Wilson trade as it happened um, and, and see kind of what our perspectives were at that point in time. Also have a fun um, interview with the Saturday Night Live all-star and ladies' man himself, Tim Meadows, uh, was in the studio, and we have a, an interview, a two-parter with him. I'm also going to connect with a good friend of mine, uh, someone I've known since childhood and now writes for ESPN.com, uh, Kyle Bonagura. He just got back from the Middle East where he was covering the World Cup, so I'm very interested in uh, everything he saw over there, his thoughts both on the soccer as well as the event itself and some of the reports of things going on behind the scenes. Um, he also spent a lot of time covering Mike Leach at Washington State. So um, we'll get into uh, plenty of that with Kyle. We're going to do that at 3.30. Um, I also dusted off an old Mike Leach interview that the boys had at uh, Pac-12 Media Day with him. They always had a number of good conversations. As far as I could go back, was 2014. So we'll um, we'll hear what uh, the old coach, um, the late past coach, um, had to say to the guys. But um, we'll start the show like we often do. And... Uh, it's one of those stories that uh, that kind of comes out of nowhere, and Suk comes in hot, and uh, and that's how this best of show is starting. A fan. Hey, what it do? Ahoy! What is up, you guys, you gals, <laughs> all you people, everybody? What's up, people? I did see today some guys doing with a bumper sticker that said "I break for everybody," and then it had. What does that mean? Uh, I think it was a like a tolerance bumper sticker. What does that even mean? Well, there was... I break for everybody. said, I break for everybody, and then... Well, I would hope so. You don't want to get in a wreck, right? Yeah, but then... Is there all, anybody you don't break for? Nazis, maybe. Like, that's a weird thing. Okay, so what, what does that mean? You're just going to, like, not 
Well, break. And I guess just I probably wreck your car. I guess I probably would break. Like that's a weird saying. I yeah. break for what? Well, and then there was all the people. No, if it said I flash. Oh, uh, yeah. you know, like uh, I flash radio hosts or whatever. Like it's like oh, I flash for everybody. You know? Yeah. Well, it was a very tolerant car. I counted fourteen bumper stickers, and they. Boy, were, I will never understand that. Yeah, the and person was, who puts just. But there was all the same sticker. There was the so there was the eye break for everyone, and then each little person had like one of the uh, pride colors, uh-huh. and then there was a coexist, of course, and then there was Obama. Yeah, <laughs> no, there was no Obama. What? No Obama. There had to have been a Biden or Obama. No, no. it's going to be Bernie. No. Oh yeah, good call. That's a good call. There was a a world. No Bernie. No Bernie. No political. No political. So I, maybe this person was right wing. I don't know. But they had the heal the world. And a Trump. And then a uh, one world, one love, which I kind of thought was the, the same thing. Okay. They had one that said, uh, God is love. I'm really rich. Uh, what were some of the other ones? All. Oh, oh. so maybe she. Well, it was all. God very- is love. That's a curveball. Yeah, that was a little, little bit. God is love. With those other stickers, you know. Yeah, there was that. Uh, there was one that said, my religion is love. But wait, I thought God was love. Well, but her religion is love. So her religion is God. Her religion is God. Which I th- Does that mean her, her religion is the only God? <sighs> I did not see a bumper sticker She's sending explaining us mi- mixed signals. I don't like this. They were all in the same theme, right? There was There was all of that. And then we had the pride flag, which... Kind of went along with the eye break for everyone with the pride people on it. Um, I'm really stuck on what does eye break for everyone mean? I don't get it. Yeah, I, well, I know. I'm just stuck on it. Like I, yeah. I don't, I don't get it. Mike's I, been thinking about it. I now I'm assuming because I was not close enough to see what each person was, but I'm assuming because it was in the rainbow colors, everyone is the same person. Like, it's kind of a unity. We are all one. We're all one. We are all connected. Yes. She was very tolerant, this person. I believe that. And can I say this? She was kind of cute, too. Yeah, she had the curly reddish hair. I liked what she had going on. But she was driving really slow. Uh, They usually do. What kind of car? Like a Honda Accord. Not okay. a, not a also super, an upset. Not a super old, but not a super new. Just we thought it'd be a Subaru. No, middle of the road Honda Accord. I was leaning Prius. Mm. Yeah, it was one of those two for sure. But driving very slow, and <laughs> while I will say it's a non-passing because it was just one lane each where, way. Where are we here? Johnson Creek. That's, uh-huh. where, that's how I come oh, the back yeah, way. The gym. The gym. So yeah. I'm coming that that back way. Okay. You can't go 25 to 30 miles no, an hour. No, you, you, that's you, more of a mini freeway. You got to go, right? We got we got to go. It's like McAdam down here. Yeah, you got to go. Come when on, somebody we, goes 30, it drives me crazy. Pace the play. Pace Even the play. Even though the speed limit is 30, it shouldn't be. No, you got to pick it up. So, we I got, accept 40. We came around the corner, right? No one coming the other way. I took advantage of said situation, went around her, right? Fairly. Two, sta- two lanes here, right? Two lanes. Fairly standard maneuver. Right. And I get it. I so you was, passed her. I passed her. And I get it. It was a non-passing road, but there was no, it wasn't like I had to hurry. There was no one coming the other way. Executed the quick pass. And let me tell you something. The tolerance, 14 different stickers I counted because I was behind her for like two miles. 14 stickers. She's a lover, not a fighter. Not when it comes to someone passing her. Because you want to take a guess what happened as I passed? You probably got the bird. I got the bird. And a good one, too. Out the window, arm extended, fingers curled right at me. 
And I was oh, thinking fin- the finger curl bird. The finger curl bird. Oh, I love that. And I'm that like, is the cutest. And it kind of went from as I was going around. This was my thought process. Oh my god! Please, I'll oh, just go around. Hey, you're kind of hot. Boom! Middle <laughs> finger. Well, it was a tolerant bird, though. I don't think it was. I think it. I think it was. No, that you can't extend and curl. That is not a casual sort of thing. Well, the curl means she doesn't do a lot of flipping off. Ooh, it was. You must have really pissed her off. But what did I do? Well, you passed her. You can't do that. Well, I was, I was wondering if maybe you were too Wait. close to her because you were reading all the bumper stickers. I thought about that. <laughs> I thought about it. And I had some to people get, don't like getting passed. I've noticed this too. It's weird. It's a weird thing. Like why? You know, you're going slow. I think just people are just so on edge. But she shouldn't. Have, you can't have 14 tolerance stickers, right? And then be that's fli- not on brand. And then be flipping birds. That's right. You can't do that. God is bird. <laughs> God is love. And you know what? God is judging that middle finger. Bird is God. Bird is God. Mm. Bird is religion. Religious and quite bird. frankly, she's a religious bird. I don't think I deserve that finger. I really don't. Well, and you wait. know what? Bird is bird. <laughs> Can I uh, ask you a question? Yeah, go for it. So on Johnson Creek, I don't get over there much. Yeah. When you pass somebody there, mm-hmm. is it the double yellow? Uh, Because you shouldn't have passed her if it's double yellow. You know what? I can't comment on that. I don't know. <laughs> well, okay. Did, do you not check that before you pass someone? If it's no, solid I just, or... I just went. There was no one because... Yeah, I always check. Well, that is a two-lane road, right? One coming yeah. each way. Yeah. And there's really not a lot of... Because it's fairly busy this so time wait, of day. Just to clarify. Yes. If it's a two-lane road... Yeah. It will be dotted yellow. And that means you can't. That means you can pass. But if it's a solid yellow, two lines... You can't. You cannot. And I don't know. What? Well, uh, clearly you cannot. I just Otherwise, saw. Otherwise, you would not get the bird from the snowflake. I saw the opportunity. There was no cars coming. I had a long straightaway, and it wasn't hard to pass her. She was going twenty-eight miles an hour. It was my only chance to pass, and I took it. And it wasn't. You know, some of those passes you really got to go and whip yourself over. No, yeah. I had plenty of time. Left-hand lane, extend. Uh, get over it, and she didn't have to like put on the brakes like or anything. I like how you say left-hand lane, when in reality you were going in the wrong lane. And that's true. <laughs> but still, yeah. it didn't inconvenience uh, her. Uh, well, that's Why true. did I get the tolerant okay. bird? The more that this is going on, the more that I think the bird yeah. maybe was justified. Yeah, that's what a lot of the textures are already saying. Why? <laughs> Why? Because, because you're not you supposed to pass there. On a road you're not supposed to okay. pass her on. Yeah. That, that may be the case. Can't do All that, right? dude. I'm open to I'm open to the it's idea not your world, that it is a non-passing lane. But what did I do that impacted her in any shape or form? She didn't slow down. She didn't nothing. No break, no nothing. You broke along. I was behind her, and then I was well in front of her, and then I left her because, again, she was going 28 miles an hour. So why did I get the bird from supposedly the most tolerant human being on the planet? Because you broke the law. You're not supposed to do that. And she is a rule follower. And you're not. And that... The, the, you're no, a scofflaw. Did, did you say what the speed limit on this road was? I don't know. What, what is Johnson Creek? I, I don't know. 40? Yeah. 40 maybe? I don't know. I mean, if it was 30 and she was going 28, she was right in line with that speed limit. It's there, not so. okay. It's not okay when there is a... But there was like six more cars behind me and we were all doing the... You're mad at the person in front of you. But it's not the person behind me is mad at me, but it's not me. And then you go back. It was her. She was holding up an entire line. And by the way, I wasn't the only one that passed. 
Because I could see in the rearview mirror, I could see other cars also taking this opportunity to go around. You triggered the rule breaking. Yes. Mm. She was a human piece of cholesterol <laughs> in the artery that is Johnson Creek. Mm. And everyone behind me was all thinking the same thing. Had I not gone, then I would have been the bad guy because everyone behind me would have been this just jack wagon needs to go around her. Did you do the move when you are not the car that's slowing everyone down, but you are second? Where you move to the left or yeah. right to try to, to show around. behind you that there's another car that's going yeah. slow in front of you. Well, that and you're you're yeah. looking around them like yeah. yes. you're like, hey, what's up there? Me. It's, it's not, not me. me. Yeah, I got to look and see. And you hope the fact that you're doing that triggers the person in front of you to go, oh, am I going slow? This person's really wiggling a lot r- uh, behind me. And I will admit. I probably was a little close. One, I wanted to read the bumper stickers because, God, there was a lot. Two, you wanted to go fast. Well, and isn't that the sign when you're on a road and there's no one in front of you and the person behind you is giving you a little bit of the, hey, you know, we're up. Isn't that the universal code for let's get moving here a little bit? We're on this journey together. We're in a line of cars. That doesn't work. You know that doesn't work. I mean, come on. People need to get over that. Like tailgating me makes me want to stay in the lane. Mm. You know, I had that today. I mean, I'll, I'll move over because I'm, I'm just low T now. But back <laughs> when I was high T, yeah, I'm staying. I'm camping out just because you're riding my ass now. Because I'm fully aware that I shouldn't be over here if you're going faster than me. I'll move over for you. Yeah, but not when you ride my ass. Yeah. Would you extend the tolerant finger? Nah. nah. Again, maybe back in the day. Yeah. Not anymore. She was fairly young. I'm going to go mid-20s, maybe early 30s. And the texts are rolling in that I guess on Johnson Creek, the speed limit is at most yeah. 35. That's a pretty windy. And as low as yeah. 25. Yeah, it is a windy, it's a windy it's road. It's a windy road, which is why I'm saying I was stuck behind her for quite some time. And so when I had the opportunity of the straightaway, I had to take it. I had to. Always love a good Sue Grant being fired up. Clearly feels like he was the aggrieved party here. We will keep things rolling on on this best of edition of Primetime with Isaac and Sue. A live segment coming up next. The Phoenix Suns have reportedly been sold. Going to tell you a little bit about their owner and uh, a would-you-rather scenario regarding sports team ownership. That's coming up next on The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Primetime on 1080 The Fan. It is a best of edition. However, we will be mixing in some live segments today, including this one, the AAA Heating and Blah, 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 blah. Let's try that one more time. The AAA Heating and Cooling Poll Question. We do it every day at this time. And um, this one, I'm using a little news item as a catalyst. The Phoenix Suns have reportedly sold. We remember the whole uh, Robert Sarver issue and uh, him being essentially forced to sell the team after he dug his heels in initially. Uh, It appears we have a buyer. And uh, all reports indicate that it's going to be the newest or the new youngest owner in the NBA, a man named Matt Ishbia or Ishbia. I'm not sure which way it is spelled, but is I-S-H-B-I-A. And I wouldn't say he's going to be a familiar face, but he is a basketball player, or at least he was. He was a walk-on on Tom Izzo's Michigan State team that won the national title in the year 2000. So he's 42 years old now, and he is the CEO of the uh, largest mortgage lending wholesaler in the country. Uh, according to this article by AZ Central, he's worth about $5.1 billion, and he's buying the Suns for $4 billion. Now, I, I'm imagining it's not going to be total ownership uh, just to him. It'll probably be a group in which he will own the largest stake, so I don't I don't think he's you know staking his entire fortune on that team. But uh, the new highest price tag for uh, a pro franchise in the NBA. He also, with that $4 billion, gets the Phoenix Mercury WNBA team as well. But uh, it, it actually brought up an interesting question among a close group of friends today and one that I wanted to pose to you. And that is, it's a, it's a would you rather. If you were a billionaire or multi-billionaire, as it would need to be the case to purchase a pro sports franchise, would you rather be the owner of a pro sports team of your, we can say of your choosing, or be the top donor for your alma mater, or if you don't have a prominent alma mater, your favorite college program. Um, because I thought that was an interesting thing. I think there's so much power that the owners wield, but there's also a lot more responsibility. I think it seems like it would be fun to be the Mark Cuban type, or at least uh, you know, a group of my peers thought so. But another person chimed in and said, are you kidding me? He's a, a former Coug, and, or I guess he's a Coug for life, but he's like, I would rather be the, the number one donor at Washington State. Do you have any idea how much sway and pull you'd have? You'd have influence without having any responsibility. You write the checks. Um, they have to kind of listen to what you say to a degree, and uh, but you don't really have to do anything but keep providing money for your opinion to matter. Um, I'm interested in what you think on the uh, on the fan text line, 503-250-1080. But yeah, Matt Ishbia, now the new uh, owner of the Suns, that should be announced uh, if it hasn't already um, sometime later today or tomorrow. Um but yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting thing. Uh, if you look at this guy's photo online, they have his uh, his like basketball headshot uh, from his time at uh, Michigan State, and uh, he doesn't look like. I mean, he just looks like a kid from Michigan, which he is. Um, 
I guess he currently hails from Michigan, lives in Bloomfield Hills, and his company is based out of Pontiac. I'm guessing he's going to be spending quite a bit more time uh, in the desert now, but uh, certainly an interesting um, hypothetical to throw out you, uh, throw out at you. Would you rather be the owner of a, a pro sports franchise or be the top donor for your school? Um, some text coming in now. <laughs> I'm getting a red leather, yellow lather on the on the text line for uh, not being able to intro the segment. But yeah, this is um, it's a debate that I want to get into a little bit more because I feel like the owner. I think can dictate a lot more of the day-to-day operations, can probably have a lot more personnel and roster decision, but I don't think a meddling owner is always the best owner or the most successful owner, and frankly, I don't think being that type of owner seems all that fun. I do think living the sweet life at uh, the universities, the courtside seats, the the luxury suites, all the um, kind of highfalutin tailgates that have the, the top-shelf booze, that all sounds like a good time where people are kind of almost recruiting you uh, on and on so that they can continue to get that check. But I I think that you get some say there. And I I don't know if this is actually true or not. But I I think that uh, I heard at one point that Phil Knight, as, you know, Oregon's top donor or one of them, um, obviously there are others, but he's the most prominent, that in his booth, that at one point in time, he had a one-way headset to the coaches. So he couldn't say anything, but if he was interested – uh, he could be listening to what, at the time, you know, Mike Bellotti was saying to uh, his offensive coordinator, Gary Croton. This was at a time that I was working in the football program, and that was the uh, head coach and offensive coordinator combo. But I can see the program being like, okay, come on, man, really? But at the same time, if you have that much pull and that much sway and you're really not meddling in the operations, why can't I listen to what the play call is? I love that idea. Um, You know, Mark Cuban does a lot of that too, I guess, as an owner. He sits down at courtside. He gets somehow involved in the game. Um, I'm sure the league doesn't like that, and I frankly wouldn't want to be that kind of owner either. But um, it, it brings up an interesting debate. So... I want to get your texts on that. Uh, we'll read some of those as they come in, but also uh, want to get ready to move on here and break a little bit early because uh, we have a guest coming in, even though it is a best of edition of primetime, someone um, who has made the rounds on the fan before uh, morning and afternoon. And additionally is someone that I grew up with playing sports with uh, in the East Bay area, Northern California. He's now a writer for ESPN. His name's Kyle Bonagura, and he just got back from covering the World Cup in Qatar. We're going to ask him, all about that, um, plus his experiencing his experiences covering Mike Leach at Washington State, also his thoughts on NIL, the transfer portal, and the landscape of college football as he uh, covers all of that for ESPN2. So, so excited to get Kyle on the horn next, uh, but first, a SportsCenter update. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. 
Medela, the mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome back to a best of edition of Primetime with Isaac and Suka. Hybrid edition, however, we have a live guest on this show now. It's my pleasure to bring on uh, a friend of mine and a writer for ESPN and ESPN.com, Kyle Bonagura, joining the show now. And uh, Kyle, it's been a little while since we connected, but I wanted to get you on this week um, because of the fact that uh, you've been abroad and uh, doing some pretty interesting stuff. I know you just got back from covering the World Cup. So first of all, uh, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thanks, Buck. Appreciate you having me on. Um, so tell me, first of all, how this came about, because I know that you've you've covered soccer for a while. I know that it, it sometimes um, goes in balance with the college football season where you're able to cover both. But typically, college football is kind of your main gig, right? So how did how did the World Cup end up on your plate? Yeah, so... I've been at ESPN. I think it's my ninth year at ESPN now. Most of that has been primarily covering college football and the Pac-12. Um, but about two years ago, I added soccer to my plate as we kind of tried to expand the, the coverage um, of soccer domestically a little bit. And so part of that was was doing a lot of coverage of the U.S. men's national team and uh, through World Cup qualifying, through the Gold Cup, and through you know you know interna- like international friendlies and all of that with the kind of the ideas that we'd, uh, you know, cover the team headed into the World Cup. And so was, uh, you know, did a lot of the away games, was in Costa Rica, was in Mexico, uh, did a Nations League game in El Salvador. So I've spent quite a bit of time following this team around the world, really. And so when the World Cup kind of rolled around, it kind of made sense to prioritize a once in every, you know, who knows long uh, competition if they they qualify or not, right? And so I had a chance to go spend spend a month in, in Qatar and cover the team uh, there and not not just the US teams actually spent quite a bit of time uh, so covering covering the whole tournament so it was, it was a really cool experience so I was gonna ask about that too kind of your your balance of work over there and what your assignment was as far as all the things you were covering because I know that um, you know the US team was kind of the primary thing but you also had all these days off and uh, time in between and stuff so what what did uh, kind of the bulk of your workload look like and how are you spending most of your time? Yeah, so it was really, you know, it's really interesting, right? Because I got my assignment list about a month before the tournament uh, began. And so I had a pretty good idea of, like, what games I was going to attend um, and got to kind of prepare accordingly for that. And and then from there, it basically is, you know, the news of the day, right? Find out where the storylines are, go to various press conferences, attend practices. Um, that depend on what's going on, you kind of allocate your – your time kind of on the fly, right? So it was, you know, really interesting to be there and kind of find the, you know, evolving storylines. I'm still working on, you know, several feature stories that I spent time reporting while I was there that'll mm-hmm. come out over the next kind of weeks and months. So really, really cool experience to go and spend a month in a, in a country that I you know, probably would have never gone to otherwise, right? And, and kind of familiarize with myself with a part of the world that uh, I've never been to before. So it was, a, you know, from that standpoint, it was really kind of, 
a cool uh, life experience. Definitely. And uh, I know that you're a world traveler and enjoy that kind of stuff anyways. And I want to get into more of kind of what the what the cultural vibe was there. I know that there was uh, there was a lot made about their customs versus Western customs and things like that. But before we get into any of that, I want to talk a little bit uh, about the soccer. And you, you referenced going back as far as the qualifying, covering this team and all the things um, you know leading up to this tournament. But um, how do you feel like they performed against expectations? I know that, uh, you know, the way that they got into the the, the knockout round, um, you know, needing that win at the end, able to get it, but then you you move on to what seemed to maybe be a winnable game, and it seemingly looked like they were outclassed a little bit there, but it was a young squad too. Nobody had starting experience um, coming in. They had missed the last cycle, so how do you kind of evaluate overall what the U.S. team's four-year run and cycle looked like? Yeah, so I think, you know, everything, you know, everything needs context, right? And so going into this cycle, coming off of a cycle where they didn't qualify for the World Cup, right? So there was, you know, from that standpoint, it was going to be relatively easy to um, to raise the bar, right? It didn't, you know, just, just qualifying for the tournament, you know, like signified improvement over the last cycle. But at the same time, you know, just approving over an abject disaster, you know, probably shouldn't be where how you evaluate and measure success, right? right. So for me, you know, especially when you look at how much talent is on this team, um, the, you know, where they're playing their club soccer um, in Europe at some of the biggest, best clubs in the world, you know, that that should factor into the expectations. And I think it did. So, you know, for me, it was it was very clear. The, the bar for success, like on paper, is get out of the group. Mm-hmm. If you get out of the group, then you're one of the 16 teams left in the world. And that's a very select group. And whether, um, you know, every year there's there's big countries around the world that don't make it that far, right? I mean, Germany's a good, a good example in this World Cup, a team that is as talented as anyone in the world, they weren't in the final 16. Italy, mm-hmm. a team that won the Euros, didn't qualify for the tournament. So the fact that those teams were probably wished they were, like ended up where the U.S. was, is a, is a pretty... Uh, is a pretty telling indicator of, of, of how successful the team was. Now, if you want to get to like, like on the field, like, like critiquing positives and negatives, I mean, I, I think we kind of, we learned, we learned a lot. Number one is that the midfield of Tyler Adams, Eunice Musa and Weston McKinney is probably better than we thought they were. Yeah. I mean, we knew that this was a good trio and there's like a, a lot of reason to be excited about um, them playing as a group. We saw it in qualifying how effective they could be, but to, you know, especially in the England game, right, where, you know, England has, like, on paper, one of the best midfields in the world. The U.S. midfield was better than England in that game. And so I, I think kind of moving forward, you have two guys or you know, three guys are in their early 20s, uh, you know, all playing at prestigious places in Europe, you know, and, and possibly can get moves to even better clubs. You know, I'm really excited about how they played and, and kind of, like, what that future looks like. You know, I think the, the, the obvious spot where there's room for improvement is just is just goal scoring. And it seems, you know, very simple, right? I mean, this is a team that has some has some talented attacking players, Christian Pulisic, you know, Tim Weah, you know, Gina Reyna, it's a whole uh, different conversation about his his tournament. But, like, there's players there that can um, create moments of danger and, and, and score goals. It just didn't happen. And, and yeah. it didn't happen throughout qualifying. They just weren't consistently goal dangerous and didn't, you know, didn't force the issue enough to be a real threat to make a run once they got through, through the group. Right. And so they got to figure that out. Like, is it this, is it the patterns of attacking play that they're, they're used, that they use under Burhalter? Is it player selection? Is it that can the lack of a clear, um, 
you know, striker uh, number nine playing up top. I mean, that's, that was the, from a player selection standpoint in the pool, they just don't have that guy who's at the same level as, as guys on the, you know, basically up and down the roster at sure. other positions. Right. So I was really, you know, disappointed that it was the case in qualifying. And then, you know, against the Netherlands, uh, yeah, they had, you know, three bad moments where they, almost all three of them, I would say definitely all three of them were kind of mental breakdowns allowing those goals outside of those three moments. They were good, but you know, like three bad moments in the, in a a soccer game at that level, um, you know, you can't have those. And so I think that kind of shows about where they should have been. The Netherlands didn't look great in, in, in group play. They were pretty passive and played on the counter, but you know, it, it showed that, you know, what a, know what a world-class level manager can do for a team they employed a style that was really effective and was able to kind of have that ruthlessness ruthlessness kind of in the moments that mattered against the u.s yeah and then the other thing too i mean we love we love drama on this show you mentioned Gio reyna initially i i read bits and pieces about what was going on there but are, are is there dissension in the ranks as far as the, the the coaching staff, the players, the expectations, it felt like that was something they, they talked about that should have been handled in-house. But can you just walk us through, like, like what happened there, why there was drama? And, uh, yeah, I mean, just the details of that? Yeah, so the, I guess the Cliff Notes version is, like, Gio might be the most talented player uh, on the U.S. team. He's 20. His dad's an American legend, Claudio Reyna. Uh, he plays at Borussia Dortmund, you know, the second-best team in Germany. Um, has been uh, like a star at every level um, through the youth national team system, like score, like, you know, got into the Dortmund team when he was 17 years old, like playing in the champions league knockout stage as a teenager. Like, so he's an incredible player and incredible talent, but he's been hurt for like the past year and wasn't a big part of qualifying. Um, Dortmund has kind of eased him in um, to start this year, but he had been playing regularly over the last couple of weeks before the world cup began. So the kind of the external expectation was that Reyna was going to have a major role on this team, whether it was that on the right wing, whether it's in the midfield or, you know, potentially playing um, at striker, which he did against the Netherlands. Like he just, he's a guy, he's so good that he just, there's no way to like come up with a real soccer decision for keeping him off the field. Right. Okay. So in the first game, he, he doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't play. And, Jordan Morris, who's had a nice career in MLS, kind of is called in with about 10 minutes left in the game as to kind of as they're searching for that that kind of go ahead goal, and so it raised some questions about okay, what's going on here? Why why is why wasn't Gio Reyna brought on? And I actually talked to Gio after that game. He said I'm completely healthy. Um, Tyler Adams told me after the game that like yeah that that Reyna was available for selection. And so it was like this weird storyline throughout the tournament of like why Gio isn't playing. Berhalter said it was a uh, it was his decision. Eventually he gets in for for 45 minutes. The, the last 45 against the Netherlands um, in the knockout rounds it was okay, not great, but certainly was an upgrade over Jesus Ferrer once he went on. And it kind of seemed like okay, this is just this is a weird deal. There wasn't really um, you know there wasn't really a great understanding of of why he didn't play and of course we always assumed that it would come out later and it just it, it kind of happened a lot faster than i think people expected um greg berhalter was speaking at this leadership summit kind of a kind of a who's who of heavy hitters uh, i think it took place in new york city close to the media um but you know there were some journalists there and at that summit he talked about kind of leadership styles, right? And he, and he cited an example at the world cup where he didn't name, a, you know, didn't name Raina by name, but it was very clear that he was talking about him. And he said, listen, we had this guy who was, 
you know, was not trying hard in practice and, you know, summed up very quickly that it got to a point where the coaching staff was, was talking about booking him a ticket, um, booking him a ticket home or back to Germany um, before, you know, he, they sat down the, the player Gio Reyna and, you know, told me he had to apologize for his lack of effort in practice. So, so what came out later is that um, Gio found out that his role wasn't going to be um, significant at the World Cup, whether that's through injury or, or not injury, that's less clear still at this point. But either way, he found out that his role was not going to be major and kind of just started, uh, you know, he didn't put in the effort in training, kind of pouting. Um, other players on the team were n- not pleased with that. Um, and, it, you know, apparently it got, sw- it got squashed, though, that he apologized, and, and that's that. This is competitive sports. There's egos, and people move on. These things happen, right? For me, the, the, the weird part is that Burhalter would feel the need or just to be, like, feel okay with um, discussing this situation in a room with anybody who was not right. the team. Right, And it wasn't – it was – like, it's inevitable in this day and age for those things to get out. And sure enough, a week later after the talk, he gets out. His quotes are, are relayed publicly. Um, and then Reyna kind of fires back in Instagram, kind of explaining his side of the story about how he thought it was squashed and how he thought these things are supposed to stay in house. And he was kind of, I don't know what his correct, his exact terminology was, but expressed like his disappointment that, that somebody, you know, you know, clearly talking about Greg Berhalter would, would feel the, you know, would feel like it's okay to discuss them publicly. And so there's this, there's this like perceived rift between Berhalter and Reyna now, which is very bizarre if you have the full background which is that reyna and reyna's dad claudia reyna and berhalter are childhood friends their families are close and so you know he's known geo his whole life so it's this bizarre kind of side story to this tournament and it's going to frame the discussion about what to do with greg berhalter moving forward gotcha so then turning the page to actually being the cultural part of the tournament itself i know that there was lots in the news about whether they're whether Qatar should have even gotten the tournament in the first place, whether um, their kind of um, societal norms would hold up against the, what the rest of the world thinks is okay and whatnot. I know we were we were told that certain access would be restricted, certain things wouldn't be okay to wear, to say, to do. Just from an experience standpoint, what was yours like? Did you get a whole list of things beforehand warning you against certain actions? Did you have any interactions with authorities there uh, that didn't you didn't realize you were out of line or, or what were any anecdotes that you have from kind of just being there and uh, whatever perceived tension might have been there beforehand? Yeah, so I did a lot of reporting about, um, you know, the societal norms there um, in the lead up to the tournament, uh, geopolitically, kind of on the ground, do's and don'ts, you know, as I would uh, before going to any country, sure. right? We talked about, you, you mentioned that I like to travel earlier. Like, these are all things that anyone who travels abroad should do as a matter of process, regardless of where you're going. Right. And so with Qatar, yeah, there's, there, there are differences in the way the society functions. Um, for me, I, I didn't run into a whole lot personally that was really caught me off guard. I mean, there are, are certainly stories of other people who didn't have the same experiences that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, several cases that have been documented, um, of where, you know, people brought in, um, rainbow, uh, rainbow shirts or a rainbow face mask or whales had some rainbow hats, I believe, where their fans uh, were told they weren't able to uh, allowed to bring those into games. And so a, a lot of that was really disappointing. 
because Qatar had said, um, you know, through FIFA and then independently that that, that stuff was going to be fine, right? That regardless of their, their, you know, the way they treat homosexuality in the country, it's, you know, it's illegal. It's, you know, it's, you know, it's frowned upon, of course, there, that they would not be treating it the same way as they would kind of under normal times and gotcha. that that stuff would be okay. And it, and it wasn't like they, 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 there were, there were cases where, you know, that stuff was, uh, was, was treated poorly. Right. Now in each case, FIFA then, you know, it, it did get rectified eventually. Right. It, it seemed like it was more of like individuals on the ground making those decisions as opposed to, know it being a procedural thing right so fifa would 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 correct itself and apologize or the qatari government would apologize directly to the individuals who had to dealt deal with some of these with some of these issues um but as far as like how daily life was for me there doha is a very advanced city Mm -hmm. and um so if you if someone were to travel there you know i think that you would get the experience that you the the type of experience that you're trying to like seek for yourself you could probably find it there gotcha you know, okay. i felt like it was it's a very modern city you know you know again it's it, the background is how how it became a modern city is um you know there's a lot to dissect there um human rights issues migrant laborers all of that that has been well documented at this point but yeah you wake up and there's breakfast spots there's coffee shops everywhere there's you know, restaurants from all over the world. You know, what's interesting about Doha and, you know, this is the, the country of Qatar is that, you know, 90% of the people who live there are not from Qatar. Interesting. So you go there and like the, the locals like try to preserve their culture as best they can, but they're also trying to build a modern country and open itself up to the world. And by having 90% of the people who live there from other places, you're going to have a really diverse, way of life right sure. yeah. that's just a process of that sort of population breakdown and so i met very few actual native qataris when i was there the people that you interact with uber drivers servers you know people who worked at uh you know grocery stores or on the subway or or, or, or wherever right most of those people are from other countries and so i, I heard a lot you know, i met a lot of people who live in the country who have been there for anywhere from, you know, one year to 20 years. And they all have different stories about why they're there. And they have different stories on what they feel about living there. And some of them really like it. You know, some of them are are looking to get out as, as soon as they can. You hear a lot of people when they found out I was American, um, you know, my experience in, in telling people that I was American is a lot of people were like, Oh, America is so great. Like that was the general sentiment Interesting. of people that I came into contact with, which is it's like, that's not always the case when you travel abroad. Right. Like right. obviously there's going to be differing opinions on in every country in the world, but that was, you know, in this case, um, my interactions were that people were like generally pretty, um, pretty high on, uh, on the United States. And so, so again, very cool, you know, I could be, I could go on for hours about this, this trip, but it was a, you know, a, a cool experience to just experience something new. Well, um, that, that is all fascinating. I, I would, you know, it, it's, it's always interesting when you get the opportunity to do something like that, that you might not pick as, as a vacation, but that like you get to experience and have this kind of, um, you know, this, this worldly adventure that, um, that, that is, part of your part of your day job so so very cool that uh, you got to be uh, part of that excited to see more of your work coming out on that and uh, but do you want to shift gears here because you're a college football guy too and I know that uh, you're you're 
focus has been on the world of international football, but I kind of want to pick your brain on a couple things here. I know you covered Mike Leach for a while at Washington State and, and uh, saw you had a couple great stories about him that I want to share with the audience. And then also just get your thoughts on this uh, this kind of current landscape in college football. So we're going to go ahead and do that with Kyle next. You're listening to uh, Ryan Buckley with Kyle Bonagura on a best of edition of Primetime on 1080 The Fan. More with Kyle and the Pac-12 next on The Fan. Welcome back to a best of edition of primetime. No Isaac, no Souk. The boys are, uh, well, you guys gave us a couple suggestions on the text line earlier. The physically unable to perform list. Uh, that is true as they are not here. They cannot perform on the radio. Um, let's see. We did have one other as well that was pretty good. Um, oh, they have entered the vacation portal. Yeah, that's true. They've definitely done that. They will be back, though, at the start of the year. But uh, right now on the line, we have uh, a friend of mine and a writer for ESPN, Kyle Bonagura. He just got back from the World Cup in Qatar, but he has uh, spent a lot of his career covering the Pac-12, and uh, he's a Washington State grad, uh, has a, a history covering the Cougs as well, and so wanted to get his thoughts on uh, some of the goings-on in the Pac-12, specifically in the Northwest, and really wanted to start with a guy that I, I know you got um, an opportunity to cover for a while and was in the Northwest for a while, who we just lost uh, about a week ago. And that's Mike Leach. Um, when the news of that passing first happened, Kyle, I we were everybody had anecdotes all over Twitter. There were some great sound bites and media clips being shared. But um, you shared a couple great stories initially. One of which we actually read on the air about calling him in the middle of or him calling you in the middle of a practice. But I just wanted to know if you could relay. Um, or some of the standout moments from him and then also just kind of your impressions uh, of, of how you understood him and how he operated in the college football world. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, first of all, very, you know, sad that he's gone so, so young and college football is worse off without Mike Leach. Um, but I, you know, I, I did have a chance to talk to him several times over the years and during his time covering or during his time coaching WSU and yeah, so the, 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 and so I do have some good stories, just anyone who's ever talked with Mike Leach has good stories. That's kind of just a product of interacting with him as a human being, um, which, you know, <laughs> I'm just laughing because I just, you know, just the random memories that kind of come to mind are just, are, are pretty funny. Um, but yeah, so the, the, there's two, right. That I have that I shared on Twitter. And so the, the first one is, yeah, like I texted him one time saying, Hey Mike, I'm, and and we had talked in the past about I had done a few stories about pranks in college football and he had liked those stories and kind of get a kick out of them and so I I texted him one time like hey Mike looking for some ideas about more pranks in college football wondering if you could tell me like what the best ones you you ever saw were so he like he immediately just calls me he doesn't text me back and says oh I'm so like I'm so glad you asked me about this and starts going into these trying to relay like any, it was kind of trying to think about it on the fly. He didn't really have any like good ones offhand. Um, he, he like, he remembered like the Caltech flip card prank from like, I think at the 61 Rose bowl. Um, and there was a couple ones that were all pretty well known and well covered. So I didn't really, he didn't really any, really any good pranks to me, but like, you know, as we're kind of having this conversation, I hear the whistle like blow. I'm like, Mike, what are you like? Where are you right now? <laughs> and I'm just, uh, I'm just at practice. I'm like, what, what? Like, this isn't that important. Like I can let you go. He's like, Oh, you know, it, uh, you know, kind of brush that off. And you know, what, you know, where, no, I'm uh, yeah. Uh, where were we? And kind of like, just kind of misses the beat. The conversation goes on for like another 20 minutes or so. He's coaching practice, talking to a reporter about pranks, um, you know, and then I think they won that week too. If I, if, if memory um, serves me 
in this case, which is just like, like no one else would do that. Can you imagine like texting Nick Saban and having him no. you know, call a reporter in the middle of practice or, or literally any other coach? No. There was not another coach in college football or pro football or high school football or youth football or any other sport, right? Who's going to take a break from, from coaching their team to, to, to chat up a reporter about, uh, about pranks. Um, so that was, that, that one came to mind immediately. And then as I kind of was jogging my memory about other, other Mike Leach stories, this other one is, is, is even better. I was at Pac-12 media day and I'd have to go figure out what year it was, but I was with Adam Rittenberg and we have like a, there's like a car wash. So we have this room, ESPN.com sets up a room where with the Pac-12 where they send all the coaches through and players through. So like we, we interview all the coaches throughout the course of the day. And it's usually about a 10 minute interview for each um, pretty standard. And you know, you're, it's very boilerplate questioning, right? You're talking about the off season expectations. If there's like, you know, if there's something newsworthy, um, but a lot of it is just like kind of just like kind of relationship building and just kind of have an off the record conversation. So with Leach, they always went off the rails very quickly. And you know, it came out like in this conversation, I was living in Santa Monica. He went to Pepperdine Law School, which is about 20 minutes from Santa Monica. So he was like pretty familiar with the area that I was living in at the time. And he gets into this, you know, uh, you know, for, first we're talking about rent control in Santa Monica and that transitions to, you know, it's like when I was in, you know, when I was in law school at Pepperdine, I used to play in this touch football game right up there off, uh, you know, the, the Sepulveda Pass, which is, you know, connects Los Angeles with the San Fernando Valley. Oh yeah, yeah of course. Right. He was like, yeah, playing this touch football game. And I'll tell you what, you know, there was all, we had a bunch of characters out there. I'm like, where is he going with this? This is just so <laughs> Like these are how all the conversations were, would go. You know, we had a lot of characters out there, you know, we play, you know, I don't know if he says like once a week, a lot of the, the, like kind of the exact parts of the, of the conversation escaped me, but the, the main points are, are, are still with me. You know, we had all these characters playing and there was this one guy and then, you know, he, he stopped coming, you know, he stopped coming, showing up and, you know, and this is not a big deal. Like this touch football and that happened all the time. He's like, but I did notice that he wasn't coming anymore, you know, but then he's like, you know, I read the newspaper and then you start seeing these, these mug shots showing up in the, uh, you know, these sketch drawings, suspect drawings in the newspaper that shows up. And, you know, I thought to myself, you know, that, that looks a lot like the guy that, uh, played touch football and, you know, but he didn't really think anything of it. <clears throat> so eventually this guy he played touch football with is arrested. Um, his pictures in the newspaper and Mike's like, and it turns out this guy was like, he was a serial killer. And what? you know, like this notorious serial killer. I was like, like, and I was like, so sh shocked in the moment. Like what, like, what are you talking about? So Mike Leach was playing pickup football with a serial killer. Um, and, and like, it's one of these situations where you just kind of got to move on with your day. Right. Like, and he got kind of like pulled <laughs> away. Like, he, like the story was going long. Like the story was going long. So the sports information director, Bill Stevens has to like pull him away. So he's like not late for his next interview. And then Adam and I had to move on to our next interview and we didn't really get a chance to like, like debrief on like what just happened right now? Like, what is the story about Mike Leach playing, uh, you know, pick up football with a serial killer? That's just insane. And Adam and I would occasionally joke about it over the years, but like, just like remember that time Leach said he played football with a serial killer, but we didn't really kind of, you know, I always thought it would be kind of fun. It would be like, I kind of wanted to close the loop with Leach on that story, but I never did. And yeah. I, it's one of those things I'm really kicking myself now because you just think you have unlimited time, right? To go chase that story down or, or, or at least like have it, have him finish, you know, if there's like, have me, let, let me ask questions about it. Right. 
sucks. But, but after he died, I started thinking more about that story. I was like, I wonder who he was talking about. And so I started looking up, uh, you know, serial killers arrested in the Los Angeles area in the years that, uh, you know, he was at law school. Look at you connecting the dots, sleuthing. Yeah. Yeah. This is my investigative journalism work last week. Um, and, 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 and it's very clear to me now that, um, the man he's talking about is Richard Ramirez, who is the notorious night stalker who Netflix did a big, big documentary about. I watched Uh, it. That is crazy. Yeah. And he was kind of on the loose at that time in, um, in Los Angeles. That's when he was going on his killing spree. You know, he was arrested, um, in 1985. Mike Leach graduated from Pepperdine in 1986. Um, I, you know, I, I cross reference every other like serial killer list of like who it could possibly be. Like he's r- really the only one that it could be. And even down to like the, the mug shots showing up at the paper, the sketches showing up in the paper, there was a lot of news coverage before he was arrested. It all lines up, Buck, with the story <laughs> that Mike Leach told me. And he, and he didn't name, like he didn't name drop him. And I'm not even sure if, and this is why it's so, so like sad that I wasn't able to kind of close the story with him. Like he, he never mentioned his name to me. Right. And so I'm not even, even sure whether Mike knew whether Mike knew, like he knew at the time, but I don't know if he understands like where, like who that guy is and kind of like crime, lore, American, like crime lore now. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm, I'm actually positive that he told me the story before the Netflix documentary. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wonder if he like, I'm sure he did because he's a smart guy, was able to connect the dots and he watched a lot of TV. Um, I'm, I'm sure he was able to connect it once he became the subject of this really popular Netflix documentary. So I should have talked to him about it. Um, I did not. But short story or long story short is that Mike Leach almost certainly played pickup football with one of the most notorious serial killers um, in American history. That is wild and a great story and you know that had you been able to follow up with him on that he probably would have had a scouting report on him too what his game was like what his strengths and weaknesses were (laughs) absolutely that's absolutely right and like i I did some reading about about ramirez too and i guess he like played like he played football like as a kid i'm not sure like to like it was like to what level or anything but like there's even in the documentary there's like a picture of him as a kid wearing like uh, wearing a football uniform, right? With a <laughs> hall. So like, who knew? Like, so it all like, it all makes sense. Like he was like the right age, the right look, the right, you know, everything about the, about who he was like fit the timeline and fit the fit. Fit Leach's description. Man, that's an awesome anecdote. Listen, I know we were going to get into the landscape of uh, the Pac-12, but we've run out of time on that gem. Uh, I, I definitely want to pick your brain a little bit later, maybe as we get into the new year, because uh, it does feel like college football is at its most volatile, at least uh, as it has been in the last 10 years or so. Uh, and There's so much to get into, but um, you've been a champ uh, hopping on with me to talk both World Cup and, uh, and a little bit of Mike Leach. We're actually going to get into one of his old interviews um, that he did with the guys here, the 2014 media day next so a nice little uh intro to that but kyle thank you so much for your time today man all right thanks Ryan. folks that was kyle bonagura from espn you can give him a a, a follow at bonagura espn he uh covers u.s and global soccer also the pac-12 and just a phenomenal mike leach anecdote there so uh, we are up against it on the clock uh but we'll move on with a mike leach interview from 2014 at the pac-12 media days that's next on the fam this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance 
Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 